So, in this episode, I want to talk about uh, uh, doing a full day retreat for writing uh, for the PhD, and this is very helpful from the standpoint of being able to clear all of the tickets that I had with ideas that had to go in. Uh, you know, for my analysis. Uh, and if you're wondering, I do use a ticketing system. Otherwise, they just drop off because <sighs> inside strikes in weird places, weird times. And if I don't capture it as a note that turns into a memo later and that, that goes into the draft after, I'd never be able to finish uh, as someone that's doing this part-time. <laughs> So I had a backlog and cleared all of the backlog. My first thought after doing it, as I was going to the gym and felt as empty as I'd ever been, in both a good and a bad way, uh, was that I'm kind of letting go of some of the ideas I might have even entertained about uh, (laughs) uh, how immaterial minds could be, because that relief felt like weight off my shoulders uh, very physically so very clearly it's somewhere there right unresolved problems carry a load in the mind i yeah i can make that claim from the first person perspective i think that's how it felt uh while i'm saying it was negative uh, there was definitely a sense of no meaning to it after or more i should say the usual feeling that I've had before from doing practical research that after you analyze and you label data, uh, you categorize it in some ways, you realize it's not as mystical. So mysticism of uncategorized data, I guess, feels to me exciting, but it's probably something that's just exciting in the mind, right? Uh, one could argue that. Um, for others, it might be anxiety if they haven't learned to enjoy that process. Uh, you can easily see people that try to fit the world into their preconceived categories and struggling with new information. Uh, that's probably in some ways related to personality types. Uh, I've done the big five personality traits and I'm in like the 97th percentile on openness to experience. So, you know, uh, comes with positives and negatives because one could easily see it in the feedback I get for my PhD of not like turning into just a full-on curiosity project. So that's why I'm recording, you know, the podcast very often so that some of the side ideas I get, I want to put them out and also, very honestly, claim some territory. I'm not sure everyone that's near the fields that I'm interested in has had all of those ideas, right? So why wouldn't I try to to say I came up with it my way? I think I've talked about this before. So the the interesting thing after a day of writing, and I had been preparing, looking back through my literature review, um, and adding the latest where I'm up to, being clear about my you know, the philosophical landscape I'm looking at uh, and then what I'm picking from that landscape, then the methodology, and then I started writing 
second draft of uh, some findings is I did have some write-up from the pilot study I did uh, with five people so having all of the data uh, from notes I thought instead of waiting uh, for all of the analysis to be done bottom-up I have not committed to the bottom-up coding anyway in the methodology because it's not the appropriate level to be analyzing for uh, broad themes like rationality and intuition that I'm interested in so I realized I need to look back a bit more top-down so that I can balance the really bottom-up coding I've been doing on perceptions of places and uh, thinking of the detail with the uh, top-down and the general rules of thumb that people talked about so um, again for anyone that hasn't listened to some of the bits I've talked about with the PhD I'm interested in um, how academic students and staff from Manchester Metropolitan University are kind of uh, choosing where to live specifically with the focus on broad themes of you know do they make the decisions rationally I mean what kind of perceptions do they have you know how does perception of place play a role in that but you know this is secondary because this is a project that's being done by um, someone else Sean Brophy he's finished his PhD I'm actually reading this so making sure that he his somewhat you know quantitative and a bit of qualitative work fits in with mine um, so I'm trying now uh, in this draft to see uh, to be brave in writing because um, uh, analysis uh, leads to paralysis very often so I'm trying to also keep myself calm about this right I'm gonna have multiple drafts and I'm gonna make some overclaims underclaims based on the data I've got and it's just part of the natural process again it's not I'm saying I'm not gonna do scientific work that's gonna be true to the data it's just I need to be free to write because the self-censoring of trying to get it right the first time is the death of all creativity and uh, I do I do think there is something to be to be said here about my interest in intuition and how that's different from creativity because you know intuitions can be more wrong gut feelings uh, whereas creativity is probably akin to when intuitions go well only uh, so but that distinction is very novel in my mind it's not what I want to talk about what I want to talk about is noticing how when I looked at so I have this question after I go with my participants through you know where they're from a bit of their background because I'm interested in their education attainment and occupation uh, then talking about, uh, about their place identity uh, where they feel they're from uh, and attachment uh, specifically using uh, environmental psychology work uh, and looking at kind of the three levels of being attached to family uh, to friends you know people and then being attached to the physical surroundings in a place that's work from Hidalgo and Hernandez 2001 environmental psychology um, then I asked them about their goals 
uh, and priorities um, to see how, you know, for, for each of the situations where they had to uh, change where they lived. Um, and then after that, I asked them, well, did you think you made the decision to move from X to Y rationally? And I go back to each of the places they had mentioned they had moved to, they've lived in. So um, based on the their own goals and then comparing that to uh, whether they think they made a rational decision, I'm going to be talking about broad themes of uh, bias from the first person perspective. So one could argue that, um, so I think the first tier would be, you know, just discussing what appears in in people's minds when they talk about places. So that's kind of the perceptual bit because they, they would talk about places and highlight different aspects of where they live. Right? And then the next tier is trying to, to talk about, okay, so if we know from behavior economics, they've got bounded rationality, how does bounded rationality work? You know, where, where are they biased? But I don't want to say bias compared to this idea of rationality, but rationality is defined by their own goals. So I've got the data of what their own goals are. Um, if they actually made a decision not according to their own goals, one could talk about bias. Uh, and then digging deeper, maybe biases are just a window to the workings of some or another <laughs> rule of thumb but i've got also questions about how these rules of thumb could be uh, transmitted so heuristics are uh, detailed protocols uh, sorry not not the heuristics themselves so there's something in the mind that's like a cognitive shortcut that people use right but that's difficult to observe you have to ask people and then try to get them to verbalize is always difficult so i've used a technique called cognitive task analysis kind of so it's a, you basically go back to each of the situations multiple times in detail so that when they say just uh you know don't make a decision when you're in turmoil because uh, that was a key situation with one of my participants where they uh, were moving away from new york because that was attacked 9-11 and in an instant they knew they had to move away for safety reasons uh, but they knew that they needed to follow another process of thinking it through they actually use a spiritual uh, practice uh, to do that but, but it is still more of a, of a cognitive engagement than just a quick appraisal that they followed so you then have the steps and formalizing those steps can be helpful to then communicate to other people that might find themselves in a similar situation. Uh, so I've got all of these rules of thumb at the top line. I haven't done the deep analysis of you know, the steps and transforming those into protocols and comparing them to other meta heuristics from the literature. But um, I noticed that there is somewhat of a hierarchy between people talking about more basic concerns with their heuristics and probably more higher order ones so uh, at the highest ends there is the spiritual ones and totally subjective ones so people talking about you know you should make your own decisions and then talking about exactly how that differs from having to justify yourself to others and then at the other extreme you have just 
stuff like check the crime rates before you move in a neighborhood, right? Um, so these two extremes, it's clear. And then in the middle, one could uh, see how the others were sloping. So I could just think through if I'm analyzing in this broad sense uh, rather than deep. Uh, a humanistic psychology approach, at least to the the, 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 the thematic ordering of this could be helpful. So I've been uh, looking at the literature uh, from humanistic psychology and I, I've in my philosophy talked about humanistic geography quite a bit. Uh, so it, it does follow um, with the commitments I've made methodologically and philosophically that I look at the broad themes uh, outlined early on with by by Abraham Maslow, but more recently by other humanistic psychologists like Scott Barrett Kaufman, um, where one can imagine a hierarchy of, of place needs, um, and then obviously the more popular framing of that is into a pyramid, but Apparently Maslow and Maslow never drew a pyramid. I'm, ha I'm gonna have to trust Scott Barry Kaufman about that. I don't have the time or capacity to dig deeper into Maslow's work at this stage. I'll do it later. But uh, what am I gonna do it later? No, I have to trust other scientists. Well, the point here is that there, the the basic and higher order needs uh, fit into more of an analogy of a sailboat, uh, where you have the the hull of the boat and then the sail of the boat uh, and both are important because even people doing management level and psychology from Maslow would know that you don't just build up to the next level until you become self-actualized but I've been thinking how this uh, approach to the hierarchy of uh, place heuristics could uh, be helpful in merging place branding, which often represents images of just thinking about higher order needs and not forgetting the more basic needs of safety, belonging, and self-esteem of people, which are always the priority of place management, but sometimes not communicated well as a strategy in place branding. So I did wonder if, if I could think of this for now as a form of uh, place, place self-actualization, sorry, because let me phrase this well. From geography, we know that how people talk about place it very often reflects a lot about how they see themselves. So the place and self combo is always difficult to untangle. And while methodologically, for if you're trying to be analytical about it, this is a problem. If you look at it humanistically and thematically, this is it's helpful because at the end of the day, the application in practice is at that level. So um, thinking about place actualization could be helpful. So I really do think, obviously, it's going to have to be place actualizing as a process. And what do we lose if we use this language as opposed to the market logic that we're trying to adjust? So I've started from the market logic, uh, you know, trying to do place branding, quote unquote, or looking at behavioral economics, quote unquote, to investigate something that's not a product, it's not an economic thing, it's place. 
So maybe we let go of the scaffolding and I'll acknowledge that in my writing, but we'd, we, we go to the to humanistic perspective of place actualizing. Because then we can, once we are firm about this, because I don't have a horse in the race of just trying to use the language of one discipline or another, because I'm not a straight up academic and I don't have allegiances. I just want to describe the phenomenon as best as possible. Um, but then could this be freeing for people that have to do this job where they go, oh, okay, right, so uh, are you telling me that if I need to uh, think about the, the actualization of the place I'm responsible for, I'm responsible for the place actualization, so that process, how would that look? Would, would, I, would I have to do, uh, would I have to care about safety? or connection or self-esteem as the basic needs or would I have to care about exploration, love and purpose as the more higher order needs? We have to take care of all of them because we know place is a complex uh, thing where many people are living and many of them have developed themselves differently on the different levels of the, the hierarchy. Um, so. I do think it could be a workable thing and if it's defended well, it could help. Uh, I'm thinking specifically in the UK context where I know uh, business improvement districts always get justified on the basis of economics when really most of what they do is not economic. It's, it's trying to deal with things like safety, you know, just basic safety and cleanliness. Uh, they try to uh, do community events where people uh, can feel more connected. Uh, they try to uh, give the local businesses a platform to show themselves compared to multinationals and have self-esteem about being independent. Um, so they deal with the with the basics, uh, the basic needs. You know, again, nothing wrong about them. The basic is probably um, not the right word, but you, please do understand what I'm saying. And then they also do have to find new ways of dealing with novel problems so uh, and, and encourage the people that are there to to uh, find new avenues so when there is new businesses and new exploration and innovation it's necessary they also are always in charge of creating place marketing that, that tries to get people to love the place and they also have to show a, a vision or a purpose and that purpose needs to be bought in by uh, the variety of stakeholders. So they do have the not just the basic but the higher order needs uh, of, of people in. So I, I'm not going to continue being um, defensive about finding more than economics and more than marketing in this uh, because economics and marketing help us understand certain aspects, but they don't deal with the, the whole thing. And if you want to deal with the whole thing, you got to take a more uh, humanistic approach. So that's it. Place, place actualizing, I think, might have a future. Oh yeah, and before I forget, I'm also going to post here me trying to 
do a recording being really confused and really tired uh, just so you can see the workings of a mind when it doesn't work <laughs> when I'm too tired uh, but feel free to skip it I don't think there's anything of value there because I've even like crossed it off of my mind but I think it's important to pose these things so nobody has an illusion that papers and academic work is perfect from the first time it, it requires a lot of thinking and a lot of throwing away of work that is not right I'm accepting the fallibility of our minds so I'm still gonna post it after here it's like an eight minute segment uh, not even gonna think about it because I'm just gonna get embarrassed but I'm gonna post it here have a listen if you want to welcome to this episode now I usually record when I'm in a good mood and a big part of why I do this while I'm walking is uh, I get into gear everything's moving and grooving and then I try to talk positively about research but I'm in a really bad mood because I've worked really hard and given that science is supposed to not be about moods and feelings right uh, it's important to acknowledge that these feelings and emotions as uh, someone that does that for a job exist and yet they can be separate from our pursuits uh, for truth and how we do this is by bracketing right putting things to the side and how does that look in reality it's not that I have uh, used some of the methods proposed by people that are like the grounded theorists of the world Glaser and Strauss they actually recommend that if you think you're biased you just put your data together with participant data and you just analyze it together so that you know, it just becomes part of the, of the thing uh, sometimes using stuff from behavioral economics about being in tilt helps you know you shouldn't be making big decisions and interestingly in my uh, PhD participant kind of views you know some of the rules of thumb they recommended when they talked about choosing where to live we had there was uh, one specific one that talked about uh, never making a decision while being okay, in tilt I think they called it um, yeah that was the general gist that's a that's a good guide but then there's a as a practical day-to-day -day researcher how can we put these to the side very interesting it's an interesting problem to have to have to face day in and day out because um, uh, over the last week I got COVID for the second time it was very mild and easy but still it messed up my plans to go to a PhD writing retreat um, I was not gonna go 
face-to-face because they cancelled the face-to-face, but I booked myself to be in the Royal Geographical Society members area. You know, I was going to look at some atlases and write, and that fell through. But I went through with the writing retreat, which was a whole day's worth of uh, writing in different segments, and it was very good, very helpful. Um, to be able to clear all of the tickets uh, from my research board so I yeah I actually do chunk what I want to write into little cards little tickets using Trello it's something I picked up from working in more of the the digital uh, world where if you're going to be designing something uh, it can always creep up and being able to chunk it in small things really helps so yeah i I used that and i was able to do everything uh, that i had and got to the point where i realized how meaningless uh, my phd research feels when i look at the whole thing all right it's very meaningful to me because i put effort in it but now i've realized it's utterly meaningless in some ways, which is very healthy. It's, uh, if you don't get that feeling, I think you can keep turning the PhD into the transformation of your own learning process. I always had to learn how to do research, but now I can do good enough research to submit the PhD and uh, yeah, I'm gonna really now focus on writing a, a good uh, summary of what the PhD process was about. I, I actually want people to understand it. I'll look for ways that I can apply it further. Uh, obviously the methods and research training has been tremendous. Like it's just got me another career. I mean, the one I wanted. Uh, so. That's helpful, and I think applying it to help public services, I find that meaningful, it's very good. But the topic itself, I'm starting to think, you know, how how can it be helpful, especially now that I'm starting to write up the results, and I was able to find um, the PhD topic of the... You know, I was actually supposed, I applied for a PhD that was already structured and it was uh, already had a topic, uh, but I didn't get that. Someone else did and they've already submitted their PhD. Uh, big shout out, Sean Brophy, uh, Manchester Metropolitan University. I'll have to cite his work because I'm you know, doing a similar thing, but basically how I got my PhD funding was uh, because I interviewed the right. I was told if I developed my own topic, then I'd be I'd be given the funding. And I've tried to keep it separate, you know, with Sean, we've, we've caught up every now and then throughout the process. Uh, so he uses a mixed methods approach to understanding the graduate mobility of people in Manchester. Whereas I've gone fully qualitative, narrow and deep um, into understanding the kind of the more intuitive processes that people go through, what he seems to be terming uh, subjectivities, 
in his research. Um, I'm still reading the thesis. And the question is now, how can we best apply this? Because between us, surely, in this you know, case of Manchester, have uh, looked uh, deep enough. So uh, I'm trying to think, you know, how was the, the focus within my data that's best to put into the final written thing because it's, it's rich quality data. And uh, starting to write yesterday, it was uh, very clear to me that I've got a lot on my hands when it comes to analysis. And I guess the key takeaway would be to just keep taking it one step at a time because it does seem to emerge inductively and I know that most people have a, another conception of stereotypical science, but if you're going to be studying the pull of people towards hmm, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? I'm totally stuck. <laughs> 